0: Welcome to making fit work. I'm your host Nina McGough certified personal trainer and nutrition coach and busy mom of two I'm committed to helping you get real results by sharing best practices and life hacks to staying consistent I also regularly interview other busy professionals who have mastered the ability to juggle it all while staying the course with their health and fitness Let's get started Hey, everyone. Clients are always asking me for my recommendations when it comes to a good protein brand. And I want to share with you my go-to. I always suggest j Protein. They make both a whey and egg white protein, which is actually how I personally came across this brand. I started to notice that I was feeling really bloated after using uh, my original whey protein. And so at the time, I was looking for an alternative that wasn't plant-based. A colleague had in the industry recommended J-Rob egg white protein to me, and I have been hooked on it. Ever since, and always recommend it to all of my clients, particularly those who struggle with the lactose that's in whey protein. It's awesome because unlike other alternatives, it has the same yummy smooth texture as whey protein, making it really easy to mix with anything, whether it's in a smoothie or making a protein bowl or just having it with water on its own. Unlike plant-based proteins, which typically have a little bit of grittiness to them. So I'm super excited to officially be partnering with them now so that I can offer all of you 20% off all of their protein products. Super stoked to be able to pass on these savings to you guys. All you have to do is use the link in the show notes and then use coupon code FITWITHNINA when purchasing any of their protein products. So that's actually going to be jrob.com. Backslash coupon, backslash fit with Nina, and then at checkout using fit with Nina and the coupon code to save 20% off. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Making Fit Work. I am your host, Nina McGough, and I am here today with Dr. Carla DiGirolamo. Carla, did I say it right? You said it perfect, Nina. Yes, okay, I'm so glad. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Nina, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to see you. Yeah, you too. Carla is a double board certified obstetrician and gynecologist and reproductive endocrinologist and North American Menopause Society certified menopause practitioner. She's also a practicing partner at Boston IBS, She's been a fitness professional for over the last eight years as a body combat and body pump instructor and a CrossFit level one trainer and certified nutrition coach. She's appeared on several podcasts talking about menopause related fitness, nutrition and everything from hormones and have even been invited to speak at some multiple international summits. Carla is also on the medical advisory board for MedFit Education Foundation. That's a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm getting exhausted just uh, listening to my own bio. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're very
0: busy. We were just talking about that, but all good busy. For sure. For sure. So thank you again for taking the time. I know you probably talk about this stuff all the time and I just really appreciate you being here to share kind of with my listeners, you know, just the ins and outs, what I really wanted to address. I know so many of the people listening to this podcast, Kind of like I mentioned to you offline, are either experiencing, starting to enter, or maybe even questioning whether they are in that perimenopause phase. So before we dive into that, and I know there's some confusion with people, if you wouldn't mind kind of breaking down for us, what is the difference, right? Perimenopause, menopause, and then postmenopause.
1: So it's, it's a continuum. So, so women from birth all the way till death, we're on this reproductive continuum. So we go through puberty, which is a whole lot of hormonal change. Many of us go through pregnancy, which again is different hormonal changes. And then there is a finite time where we are able to have children. And there is a point in time where we no longer can because our ovarian function is declining. And then that's when perimenopause starts. It starts after we're we're, we're finished having children. And that on average happens around age 45. Then there's this transition period between age 45 and average age of when menopause uh, happens is about 52 in the United States. So you have this four to six to eight year period of time where the ovaries are starting to dial it back. So the ovaries produce lots of hormones. They produce estrogen and progesterone, they produce testosterone. And what's happening during that transition from reproductive life out of reproductive life is that the the ovarian hormone production is starting to decline. And when that happens, it's kind of like a chain reaction that affects other hormonal pathways that affects other physiology and just about every system of the body. And so during that, uh, four to six to eight year transition period, the body's trying to adapt to this new normal, which is achieved after menopause and menopause is defined as one year past the final menstrual period. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a retroactive diagnosis and that happens around age, age 52. And actually, sometimes things actually get better after menopause because what happens is the hormones have all leveled out. And during that transition period is when the hormones are very erratic. The ovary doesn't know whether it's coming or going, it's producing lots of hormones, and then it's not doing anything for three months. And it's very chaotic. And that's why that perimenopausal transition is the most symptomatic That women typically are. And then when menopause happens and everything is,
0: you know, pretty much leveled out, many times it gets better. Now, this might seem like a strange question, but is there a transition period into perimenopause? Because I feel like there are a lot of women that I'm hearing in these early 40s that are feeling like things are changing, but maybe not, they're not quite yet into perimenopause is that a thing or are we imagining it no i don't think you're imagining
1: anything i think that's happening you know at 25 you feel a little different than 30 35 feels a little different just like 40 feels a little different Mm. and then so it's a spectrum and we do feel different as as the years go on um i see it in the patients that i see as a fertility specialist at Boston IVF, you know, they tell me, "Well, you know, I'm 40, they're still fertile, but my periods are different." You know, my periods are different than when they were when I was younger. They're less painful. I don't get as much PMS. So, it's not like a specific pre-transition transition. Right. It's just the, you know, the evolution of of how our bodies change with age.
0: Right, right. So, what are some of the ways that people can Identify that they are in a perimenopausal phase. Is well, there the a first way thing to truly identify that it's it's
1: tough. It's yeah. tough because it's such. Uh, it's it's very gray. Um, on average, like if 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 someone was to come to me as a physician, this happens all the time, and they say, "I'm feeling X, Y, or Z. Am I in perimenopause?" <clears throat> well, the first thing I think of, well, how old are they? and they may say, well, I'm 47. And so most 47 year olds are in perimenopause. So just by virtue of their age, she's probably in perimenopause. Um, because 90%, 90% of women are at 47. It's really starting to happen to 45. So age is the first thing. If you're 40 and you're feeling these things, think about, well, do I know when mom went through menopause? Do I know when my sister went through menopause? And so sometimes if you have a very close relative that's gone through menopause much earlier, Mm
0: -hmm. then
1: you may be heading into that phase earlier too. So, you know, when people come to me, I ask them how old they are, when did their mother or their sisters go into menopause, their grandparents, the grandmother, um, and that provides a clue as well. And then I ask them, well, what exactly are you experiencing? And many women talk about very commonly the hot flashes they are, can't get quite comfortable from a temperature range. It's either too hot or too cold. And like that, that comfort zone is narrowing and it's, you know, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to get, get, a, find yourself a comfortable temperature. Vaginal dryness is something a lot of women, um, talk about mood swings, um, poor sleep may or may not even be due to hot flashes but a lot of women have sleep disturbances during this phase of life so those are some of the common things uh there's other uncommon things too because again estrogen impacts nearly every system in the body we have a lot of women that complain of joint pain uh muscle pain fatigue uh a lack of drive depression um and you know some of these things overlap with medical issues. And so what I do as a physician is I try to exclude medical causes of these things. Like is she having a hot flash or is she is is her thyroid not functioning properly? So you know, do some testing and uh try to exclude any any medical problems so that's you know that's something i would suggest that women do is that if they're feeling these things that are starting to impact their quality of life see your primary care doctor they can make sure that you don't have diabetes that you don't have um a thyroid disorder or that there's something else going on or that you've got you know major depressive disorder something like that um and then beyond that those (laughs) are some of the common things that might make someone say yep i think i'm
0: there Yeah. And so what are some of the things that you recommend, Carla, once you do determine, okay, yep, I think you're in a perimenopausal phase of your life. How do women start to combat these things? Because I know what I'm finding with friends, family members, clients, listeners to this podcast is that, you know, it's harder for them to feel like they can stick to their healthy habits with Mm -hmm. all these things that are like getting in the way right like the lack of sleep we all know that it's harder to feel motivated to do a workout when you haven't been able to sleep at night or make Mm -hmm. healthier choices when you're already starting your day off feeling so tired so how are what are some of the things you typically recommend for people for women
1: well sleep is a biggie and that's probably one of the most common things people come to me with is that they're so tired during the day and it's linked to poor sleep. And one of the common themes just overall that I hear people say is the stuff that used to work before isn't yes. working anymore. Yeah. Um, so sleep is a big one. And, you know, when I was 30, I probably could have fallen asleep with my, you know, phone in front of me, you know, playing Candy Crush or something. Yeah. But, you know, and you could get away with that when you're 30 right. and sleeping right. well. But I'm 52 now and I can't do that i can't watch national geographic right before i go to bed i have to turn the devices off a good half hour before and sometimes i even have to listen to like meditation type stuff on on Mm -hmm. on an app um, or those sleep story things Um, i need to do more to help me go to sleep than i did when i was 30. i could just conk out and close my eyes anywhere um but not so much anymore so those things that weren't working before, you know, that were working before no longer are, you kind of have to reassess and say, okay, I'm going to have to pay more attention to sleep hygiene than I did. Yeah. Um, alcohol is another big one too. Um, a lot of people, including myself, um, don't tolerate alcohol as well as they used to just the way the body metabolizes it and the disruption with sleep, you know, you could have, a half a bottle, three quarters of a bottle of wine, you know, having dinner with friends and stuff. And then you might be up all night where 10 years ago, it probably would be the best night sleep you had in a month. So it's, it's really doing a lot of assessing in, in reassessing. And sometimes you have to be a little stricter about things than you were before to try to get to the same end. Those are just two examples.
0: Yeah. And I love those examples. Do you feel that there's resistance with that stuff. Cause it's like, there is that mindset of like people not wanting to feel like they have to do more because they're getting older or entering a different phase. But it's like, but I've never had to do that before, but it's always been okay. Well, that's another part of the
1: reassessment process is reassessing, okay, how badly do I want X? And how does that weigh against what I have to change to get X, right? Right. So for me, it got to a point. I was teaching body combat two or three days a week. And a lot of it was on the weekend. And I used to love to have a glass of wine when I'd go out with my husband on Friday night and teach on Saturday morning. And it got to a point. It's like, I really enjoy this glass of wine but I feel like crap and I can't teach as well. And I decided at that point that it was more important for me to be at the top of my game when I was teaching body combat than it was to have that glass of wine and i really didn't want to give up that glass of wine because i i enjoyed it it was the end of the week and it was stress relieving but i had to make the very difficult decision yeah and i think that's what people ultimately have to do is they have to step back and say okay i'm experiencing this i have to do this to change it which do i want more
0: yeah so the timing on this is perfect actually my most recent episode that just aired this past Monday was actually about alcohol and weight loss and the effects it has on the metabolism and I gave very personal examples how I'm only going to be 42 in the winter in November and my doctor and I have already had the conversation and have determined that I'm already in perimenopause my mother went through menopause very early was done by the time she was in her late 40s already in menopause and these are things that I've noticed, right? Like I'm uncomfortable at night. I used to be able to just pass out. Sometimes there's hot flashes. Sometimes it's just like unable to get comfortable with my body temperature. Um, the alcohol I noticed, even though I've never been a huge drinker, even a little bit was making me feel more foggy. I wasn't able to sleep well. Then I would wake up the next Morning and feel unproductive and not want to get to my workout feel more sluggish and for me kind of exactly like what you're saying just making that decision of like I don't want my next day feeling like a waste I you know yes I enjoy having a cocktail but like not that much because I also you know really enjoy feeling productive the next day and being able to get to my workout and know having to make that decision it kind of at first is a little wake-up call right Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's also kind of nice to have that mindfulness of like i see which one is what one thing is doing to the other
1: absolutely that that assessment and reassessment is is really important and it goes through you know all different phases like you know with um with workouts too. And, you know, some of the things I see with some of the women that I train and um, I work with some elite athletes as well. Um, And what they're noticing is that, okay, I can't train the way I used to. The recovery Mm. is starting to decline and they get mad at themselves. And, you know, especially the elite level athletes who have sponsorships and things like that, they're under some pressure. And they feel like their body is betraying them. And then they develop this very negative relationship with their body. And then, you know, they get into this situation where their energy expenditure is greater than their fueling. And then they wind up in these energy deficits. And it's just this quicksand spiral downward. And so I think the other part of assessing and reassessing is not being angry with yourself, um, keeping, uh, you know, love yourself. This is the time your body needs some love because your body doesn't know whether it's coming or going because the hormonal changes are dramatic. And so you kind of need to be patient with yourself and say, okay, this isn't a decline. This is a detour. I just Ah. have to do things a little bit differently. And evolve with this, you know, because there are biological truths that are undeniable. Menopause is going to happen, just like the sun's going to come up. Right. Um, and and you know, and so you just kind of have to live within that, accept that, be good to yourself, and mm-hmm. and you'll you'll come out of it, and you'll come out of it, and you'll realize things that you could do that maybe you couldn't do when you were in your thirties. You know, I am a far better athlete now at fifty-two than I was when I was thirty. I was very one-dimensional when I was thirty. Um, I can do a whole lot more of many different things in many different areas now. And so being kind to myself and believe me, I didn't come around to this on my own. I have a great coach Mm -hmm. um, really saved me from going down that road as an avid recreational athlete of not liking myself and just giving up and saying, you know, being a victim rather than, uh, you know, being an advocate for myself
0: yeah i really love the way you worded that as a detour not a decline because i think that is especially as women who we have always kind of been used to beating ourselves up or using terms like well i used to be able to do this or i used to be able to eat this way or i used to be thinner etc cetera, etc cetera, we tend to kind of always look at ourselves like we're doing something wrong And even I hear people talk about this phase of life, like, ah, perimenopause, like it's doing this thing to me, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than us kind of going into it with this open mind of like this phase of life is going to happen no matter what. So we can either assess and reassess as we go along or we can, I hate to say it, but be bitter about the whole process, right?
1: the whole way long. For sure.
0: And, and
1: accepting it and working within it does not mean surrendering to it. You you know, there's this narrative out there right now that menopause is a hormone deficiency. It's not a hormone deficiency. This is what's supposed to happen. But just because you realize that this is what's supposed to happen doesn't mean you surrender to it and accept it and go cry in the corner. It means that, okay, I'm going to empower myself, understand what's happening to my body. And I'm going to work within that so that I can thrive in this new environment. And so you know it's like i said you know this narrative about menopause is a deficiency well that's like one more thing we're doing wrong right there's right. one more thing that's wrong with us and right and it was such a negative and destructive narrative for um for women in this age group and uh you know i'm doing my best to combat it and you know like i said just because you accept it as a biological reality it doesn't mean you surrender to it it just means you're aware accepting that there's a change and navigating that change
0: so what is your recommendation to women who maybe have always lived a pretty healthy lifestyle working out weight training you know drinking water prioritizing uh, quality foods and now are facing these you know symptoms that are hard to navigate but also things like unwanted weight gain and you know how do you go about talking to clients about, again, not surrendering to it, but how do they work within that? Yeah,
1: that's one of the more challenging things because there's a lot of moving parts to it. So when someone comes to me, either as a physician or a trainer, and they tell me that this is something that's happening, the first question is, well, how much have you gained? if someone has gained 30 or 40 pounds, then I need to start looking at medical issues. Do they have diabetes? That's the first thing. Diabetes increases in frequency as we get older. I have to rule that out. The second thing would be major depression um, because many times people use food as therapy and comfort. They have a dysfunctional relationship with food and they, you know, deal with these emotions with, overeating. And so those are kind of things that I need to investigate. When someone is telling me I gained 30 or 40 pounds in the last two years, there's something else going on there. I need to, to, to work with, but most women probably complain of about five to 10 pounds, and it's all going to the same place right in the middle of their belly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So again, when you notice something, you say, okay, Well, what have I, you know, have I really changed my diet? And it's hard for us to take an objective look at what we're eating, Mm -hmm. but it's important to do that because I know when I did it for myself, I said, huh, this was was before I stopped drinking the wine. This was just one more reason to stop drinking the wine was I was having probably three or four glasses a week. And I'm like, maybe that's part of the problem, you know, or I had, I was eating some ice cream every weekend. And it's like, you know what? I can't, I'm going to have to, if I want, if I want the body composition to change, I'm going to have to think about changing these things. And Mm -hmm. so by taking an objective look at what you're consuming, that kind of gives you some insight into like, oh, wow, was I really eating that? You might not even know. And then you make a tweak and then it could make all the difference in the world. And then you want to look at your activity. You know, what does your training look like? You know, have you skipped those sessions with your trainer? Or, you know, are you sticking with it? And if you are sticking with it, well, maybe the training needs to change. You know, maybe if we're doing HIIT uh, training four or five times a week, maybe we switch it up and do some resistance training and heavy weightlifting, you know, two or three times a week. Sometimes changing up the workout will, uh, will, will help you um so it's the same kind of assessment and re and reassessment but the thing that is additional when we start talking about body composition is it's complicated by the societal expectations of women in this country and probably all over the world somehow in this twisted society we have this biological reality of you know society thinks we're getting older we're going to die on the vine just slow down you shouldn't be doing all that crazy stuff but we do still expect you to look like you did when you were 28. right i I mean what is the crazy dichotomy there and you know these things are going to exist that's the way it is in american culture unfortunately and what we need to do is wrap our heads around you know what i'm not going to enable that attitude anymore it's ridiculous to expect at 52 that i'm going to look the way i did when i'm 32. um that's just unreasonable expectations and realize that that's an unreasonable expectation and that your fittest self at 50 is going to be just as gorgeous as your fittest self at 30. um And you you have to see it that way, uh, and not not really acquiesce to these uh, really crazy, unrealistic societal expectations.
0: And it's it's not easy to do. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole another episode just talking about those expectations and the things that we've built up in our heads on how we should look and how we should feel. And I think right. that does play a big part on this phase of life right like 40s into 50s thinking that we should be feeling and looking a certain way um based on what we see on social media what we see on tv and all that stuff and then holding ourselves to that rather than holding ourselves to what we're feeling now and what we want to feel like like what is the best version of ourselves,
1: right? Exactly. Because the best version of yourself changes with time because we change with time, emotionally, Mm -hmm. mentally, physically. So, you know, how we see ourselves and what we look like is going to change with time too. It's okay to change. And you want to be the fittest version of yourself you can be at whatever phase you are.
0: What would you say to someone who maybe hasn't had such an active lifestyle and is now entering this different phase of life Would is your advice typically a little different for someone who has been active because you're saying things like maybe look at your training maybe your training needs to change maybe the diet needs to be dialed back a little bit depending on what you felt like you could indulge in before versus this different phase but what about for someone who kind of hasn't been active and now they're going man i didn't feel that great before And now I'm feeling even worse. What's the first step for them to take?
1: Well, I tell them that the sky is the limit and find something you enjoy. That's the first thing you want to be active. You know, we know as fitness professionals that, you know, the best program is the one that you can stick with and you're not going to stick with it unless you like it. And fortunately, you know, I remember the fitness industry in the early 1980s, you know, when I was a a teenager And how it's so different now because it's so inclusive and there's so many different things. There's Zumba, there's CrossFit, there's Olympic weightlifting, there's a bar, there's pole fitness. I mean, anything under the sun is out there. And so finding something you like is the first step. And then... The magical thing that happens is that if you do it like with a group of people, now you got that community feel and you make friends. I know the friends that I've made in the fitness industry are my friends for life um, yeah. because you have that bond. And so you have the community aspect of it and you hold each other accountable. And, you know, the gym now isn't just for fitness. It's for it's for uh, being social. So that would be the first advice is that let's find something that you like. And the second advice I would give her is to get a coach everyone needs a coach. I think that uh, you know, coaches are the best thing in the world because they can hold your hand and they can help you navigate, especially if you're brand new. If you're brand right. new and you see all these options, it could be very overwhelming and intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to walk into a gym for the first time when you've never really been into fitness. is very intimidating. So if you can grab onto a coach and that person can help you navigate this, Uh, and find that thing that you like, that's one of the best things uh, anybody could do. So those are the two big pieces of advice I give people.
0: Yeah, I think even for the experienced fitness person, I think having a coach is so important because like you're saying, being able to look at your life objectively, right? Like I know for myself, it's like we're so in, my habits are so ingrained that maybe if I laid them out for somebody looking inward, they would be like, oh, there's something you could change that I just may not be seeing for myself, right?
1: Oh, for sure. I know my coach, Erica, I mean, she, there have been more light bulb moments than I can count where she would tell me, you know, what do you think about this? This is this pattern you're exhibiting. And of course, I wouldn't see it. And it's like, oh my God, you're absolutely right. Right. And, you know, I've been with her for four years. And so, you know, we have a, I trust her completely and can really say, wow, I think I do this for this reason. And then she would help me through that. And it you know, it makes you better in the end. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's so important because they will see things in you to your point that, that you may not see in yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Are there certain, um, because I know, I don't know how you feel about this but I know that when it comes to the menopause industry, the and I say industry because now people are targeting women going through these phases right with supplements and diets for menopause and exercise specifically for menopause because why are they doing that they know that women are struggling right yeah exactly and so they're targeting that what do you say Or how do you feel about that stuff? Do you think there are supplements that can be helpful for women going through menopause? I know when I first talked to my doctor about it, um, she had recommended a supplement for me to take to help with the hot flashes and the low estrogen. I did try it. I did a little assessment, reassessment. It personally didn't work for me. But do you have things that you kind of say like, all right, if these are the top three things you're struggling with, Here's some like herbal supplements that
1: might help. Yes, there are, there are some, um, and they may not be what you expect. Um, from an overall health standpoint, I think every, every woman, unless you truly are getting the 1200 milligrams of calcium you need per day, which is unusual. Um, unless you eat a fair bit of dairy, uh, is a calcium supplement. Um, calcium carbonate is the most bioavailable nature made puts out a good one that I take myself, um, and taking one or two of those with food per day, will get you that calcium because our absorption of calcium, which is really important for our bones and bone density and preventing fracture that's, um, not being absorbed as efficiently as it was when we were younger. It's one of those things, the way our physiology changes and what goes along with calcium is vitamin D. You need vitamin D to absorb the calcium. And so many yeah. times, especially if you live in the Northeast like we do, um, you get all these months of winter where you're covered up and not going out in the sun so much. Uh, almost everybody up here is, is vitamin D deficient in the winter time. So taking a vitamin D and calcium supplements really, really important to protect your bones. Um, I love creatine. I think creatine for women in, who are midlife is important, but the key is they need to be active. It doesn't just work for the sedentary person who's taking it, the muscles need stimulation to be able to utilize the creatine. And what creatine basically does is it helps the muscles to uh, be strong. It helps them to function. It helps the mitochondria, which are the batteries, the little tiny molecular batteries in the cell that power the muscles, it helps them to function better so that we can stay active. We can be stronger and we can keep the muscle mass um, that is inevitably declining as we are getting older. Um, so I like creatine. Uh, I use a product called thorn thorns. Creatine is really good. It's a powder. You can mix it with anything. I take five milligrams every day. Uh, people who are vegetarians um, who don't get much animal protein because creatine is naturally found in animal protein. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a vegetarian, you're not getting so much of that. You might need a little bit more. Um, but creatine is very safe. It's one of the most well studied supplements in the fitness industry. And um, I do recommend that for women, for sure. It also can help neurologically. Um, There's a lot out there. If you're experiencing that brain fog that a lot of women talk about as they're entering Mm -hmm. perimenopause, you know, they put something down. They don't know where they put their phone. They're looking for their glasses and they're sitting on their head. Um, Creatine can help with those things as well.
0: Uh, I actually take creatine, but I've only been in the habit of taking it on the days that I strength train. I never thought of oh, adding it to my water yeah it's,
1: it's a daily thing the recommendations oh, by some of the leading researchers are to take it every day whether okay. you're working out or not you yeah. need to do that Yeah. You know, so um so those those are the ones i'm a fan of fish oil also a good one um as uh, omega-3s as we are uh you know navigating this phase of life cholesterol changes as estrogen goes down uh, LDL tends to go up, triglycerides tend to go up. And so, um, the fish oil can help with, uh, with that piece of it, uh, and protein women don't get enough protein. So many of my clients out. are not getting enough protein when we're going through perimenopause and menopause, it's a, it's a very catabolic state. You know, things are breaking down, like the bone density is declining, the muscle mass is going down. So there's a lot of catabolism going on. It's just what's happening. So to kind of fight that and mitigate that, if your muscles have the protein building blocks that they need to repair and recover, then you're not. that's going to mitigate those losses. Uh, same thing with bone. Bone is made of collagen uh, and other proteins as well. So you need it for that. So those are my go-to supplements.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now, what are some of the things that you what would be your biggest piece of advice for someone going through menopause perimenopause? I know you kind of said, you know, use it as a detour, look at it as a detour rather than a decline. What are some of the top healthy habits that you would recommend people dialing in to help them detour through this phase?
1: Mm -hmm. Sleep hygiene, number one. Um, when you say sleep hygiene, you mean
0: like getting rid Turning. of the screen time at night? Yeah,
1: exactly. Getting rid of the screen time at night, doing some meditation. I find that extremely helpful because, you know, my mind's racing from all the million things I do during the day. Um, mm-hmm. So sleep hygiene would include that. Lowering the temperature in your room. Um, I used to love to sleep at 72 degrees. Can't do that anymore. 68 is my go-to. Um, So you want to lower the temperature in the room, maybe put a fan on, Um, you might want to wear looser clothing or, you know, things of different materials that tend to be cooler. They have special sheets that are supposedly cooler. Um, So those are some things that people can do to help with their sleep. And again, you know, if they're doing all those things and they're really having problems, sometimes a sleep study, they might have obstructive sleep apnea and not realize it. Uh, so sometimes seeing their physician when they've pulled out all the stops and it's still not working. Uh, also, like I said, minimizing caffeine, uh, that's a big one too. Uh, try not to have it after two or three o'clock in the afternoon and don't eat too closely to bed either two hours. Um, you know, make sure you've had your last meal, at least two hours before you lay down to sleep. So that's some sleep hygiene stuff. Um, you really want to dial into that. And I think looking at, you know, again, we talked about alcoholic, like if you have hot flashes doing a hot flash diary, okay, that's really helpful for people because what that can sometimes do is help them identify triggers. So ah. for instance, if they are getting most of their hot flashes at seven o'clock at night and they don't get them any other time, and maybe at dinner time they're having a glass of red wine, Hmm, I'm getting a hot flash every time I'm having dinner. And so, well, what am I having for dinner? Well, the consistent thing is I'm having a glass of red wine. Maybe I need to change that. Or it could be something else, you know, it could be, um, okay, maybe it's the middle of your day and I'm at work and this is a stressful time of the day because like, if you're, if you're under stress, I know this happens to me too, um, dealing with something during the day, I'll get hot. I will have a hot flash in the middle of me being, uh, uptight about something or managing a crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, so realizing that might help you say, okay, I'm going to close my office door and I'm going to take 10 minutes to sit here and just breathe and meditate and, and bring it down. Um, so being aware of when you're having your symptoms and what you can associate with those symptoms can be really, really helpful in finding your triggers. Um, so that's a big one. And, um, you know with the weight gain that's so common like i said taking a nutrition inventory and being honest with yourself yeah um it's very easy for us to say well you know i just gained five or ten pounds it's just getting older and just chalk it up to that rather than taking a hard look and say you know what i really need to drink less wine or i really not have to have that ice cream every weekend if i choose to do that you know i i might decide you know what i love my damn ice cream I will deal with the pot belly. I just love my ice cream. And that right. is okay. okay. Yeah, it's it's really okay. absolutely okay. But you have to ask the question, right? right. So okay. those are probably the three biggies.
0: When it, You mentioned workouts before and maybe needing to reassess your workout and your training program. How does someone know if their workouts are kind of contributing to some of these symptoms? Well, or I times... guess not helping them get to where they want to be in this stage of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So the first, the first part of your question about exercise, not helping the classic thing I see is that when people start and this goes for elite athletes, avid recreationals in general population, when they start to see the weight gain, they eat less and try to work out more yeah. and then they get into an energy deficit. And when the body's in an energy deficit, it holds yeah. on to fat even more. And so right. you get into this vicious cycle. So that is an example of a non-productive cycle that's going to make your symptoms worse. Right. So really what you may need to do instead is you have to balance your energy availability, you have to make sure you're eating enough to feel what you're doing. Maybe you're not eating the right stuff. Maybe you're getting too many carbs and not enough protein. Maybe the macros just have to shift a little bit. I know that Mm -hmm. I had to do that myself. Um, You know, you can tolerate carbs a little bit better in your younger years because, you know, estrogen has a lot to do with insulin sensitivity. And as estrogen goes away, insulin becomes more resistant and you don't process carbs quite as well. And the body starts to favor fatty acids. Uh, so it processes his fat a little bit more. So sometimes you have to just like, take a reinventory, and, you know, you want to work with a nutritionist or um, a trainer and say, okay, um, what am I doing for activity and how do I best fuel that? Because you don't want to get caught in that eat less, work out more and cause you're inevitably going to gain weight.
0: Right. Right. This is actually something I've talked about a lot with like, we don't want to increase our cardio activity to the point where it's also increasing our hunger mm-hmm. yep right and you end up overeating and your metabolism has just like adapted to that right so For it's sure. not quite creating that calorie deficit that people think it is because they're burning so much with the cardio right and
1: and weight training is very important too and you know it's not you know just light weights high reps Women really need to stimulate those type two muscle fibers because one of the physiological things that happens as estrogen declines is that our type two start to now uh, move toward the proportion of type two to type one starts to favor type one. And so we start to lose that explosive power. So now more than ever, we need to stimulate the muscle fibers in those type two um, fast switch fibers with heavy lifts. Now you want to pay very close attention to mechanics because we don't want anyone to get injured, but you know, heavy lifts with, you know, three to five reps of whatever is heavy for her in maintaining safe mechanics is really where you should go. Because if you can build muscle mass, you're going to increase your basal metabolic rate, and if you increase your basal metabolic rate, you're going to burn more fat. So right. uh, heavier weight training and mixing it up. You know, you don't want to just do heavy weight training. You want to do some yeah. middle of the range stuff too, just to you know keep all the muscle fibers guessing. But you know, a lot of women in our in, in this age group are afraid. You know, because well, society is telling them they should be afraid because they're going to break in half if they do anything crazy. You know, in right. quotes like something beyond a, a long walk so we kind of have to overcome that and say nope you know what we're going to do we're going to do back squats you never done one well we're going to show you how and we're going to do them safely i'm going to start with a pvc pipe my mother is 92 and i've got her doing deadlifts with milk jugs
0: because that's Amazing. what's heavy
1: for her yeah yeah and uh i found her on my roller one day just you know out of the blue i thought she fell and i couldn't find her and i go downstairs she's on my concept two rower honey what's this so funny, but I digress a little bit, but the point is you're never too old. You're never too old to try something new and mix it up.
0: And don't you, I mean, I don't want to go too far off a tangent, but I actually talk to my kids about this stuff all the time. Don't you feel like part of being able to live that longer, healthier, happier, stronger life is to keep moving, is to keep building muscle no matter your age? You know, that whole thought of a body in motion stays in motion. And, you know, with women, because we do lose muscle mass, because it does take longer to recover, it's even more important to keep trying to build muscle.
1: Without a doubt, it's a priority. It's a very high priority and it should be for any trainer who trains women in this age group um because the muscles and the bones are um struggling a bit because of that lack of estrogen it does level out um after menopause uh the losses tend to level out but you have to really keep stimulating them because if your muscles are more functional and you have more muscle mass and strength it's going to prevent falls and falls later in life like when we're 70 80 90 years old a fall can lead to can lead to death many times. You know, a third of the time, if someone has a, a hip fracture, they, they may pass away in, in, within the year. Uh, it's very, very serious. So preventing falls starts early in life. And that is with building a solid base of muscle mass and mobility.
0: I know you said your mom is 92 and it's never too late. What do you say to that person who is, you know, like I said, hasn't had much of an active life And now they're, you know, late 40s, feeling different through these phases of life. Is it too late for them to start building muscles, start weight training to kind of reverse some of these symptoms?
1: Oh, it's it's never too late. I have a woman in my, uh, who I train, I've been training her for about a year and a half now. She started with me at 60. Now, back in the day, she was a collegiate basketball player. And then after college, she really didn't do anything athletic at all. You know, she got married. She had kids. Very common. Yeah, yeah, like many people do. And she never really went back to it. And, you know, she had gained a lot of weight, probably 20 pounds um, from the time she went into menopause. She went into menopause at 45. She went early. And at 60, she just was like, I got to do something. And um, my background is CrossFit. And so I started her on CrossFit style functional training and we do it all online. I prescribe workouts for her and this woman, oh my God, the strength that she has been able to build, the skills that she's been able to build. She couldn't do pull-ups when she first started with me. She can do them now. She couldn't do real push-ups Now she's doing hand release push-ups, and she's doing renegade rows and all these things. It's amazing to watch what she was able to do and the results that she has been getting, just excite her so much and motivate her so much that she wants to keep going. But she's a force Amazing. and she became a force at 60. Right. And so she truly for sure. And I really had to do a lot to tweak her nutrition too. It wasn't just fitness, but right. she wasn't fueling well. I couldn't get this woman to eat protein. You know she was part of that generation that was really conditioned to not eat very much because oh my god if you finish your plate someone's going to look at you and say oh my god you know she's eating all of her dinner that generation is about 10 years beyond me really was the 70s you know stuck in that you have to be read thin and eat very little and that was really hard to overcome but we did. It took time. It took patience, but we overcame it. And now I can't believe she probably consumes 1,800 to 2,000 calories a day consistently.
0: Yeah. And
1: and that's the level she needs for, for what she does with her training with me and um, and what she does just every day. So yeah, now, it's never too late. You just got to believe in yourself.
0: Do you find that, because I know this question has come up, uh with some of my clients do you find that kind of like you were saying before how some of us can tolerate carbs a little less as Mm -hmm. we get older do you find that you do have to kind of tweak people's nutrition and get them out of the phase of what they used to be able to do right in 30s even 40s and flip-flopping where they're getting their energy source from as far as
1: oh without a doubt without a doubt some people actually function on a little lower carbs and more fat it depends on the type of activity they're doing um i experimented with that for myself but because i do a lot of crossfit that requires a lot of carbs and i really didn't feel well doing more fat and less carbs so i had to go Mm -hmm. back i reverted to that and, and that's what worked for me it was trial and error Um, but for, but for her, for the 60 year old client, I was just mentioning, she does a lot better, uh, with, with fat fueling. So, you know, she gets less carbs, um, because her body just tends to do better, uh, with a little bit more fat in her, uh, in, in her daily diet than, than say I could tolerate just, you know, we're different people. So, so much of it is, is trial and error and it's based on what type of activity you're doing during the day.
0: Yeah, so for me, I did a lot of this experimenting on myself too, and I, I, I am both actually. So what I mean by that is probably half of the month I do better on higher fat, lower carb. I feel just more energetic. I feel better in my workouts. But then right about the week before my cycle starts, I need more carbs. Mm-hmm. There is not enough fat in the world that can help keep me feeling energized, can help keep my hunger at bay. I need to increase those carbohydrates about a week before my cycle, and then even the week of my cycle. And then after that, I kind of reverse it again.
1: Yep, there's something really to that, that the whole field of in, in the elite athlete space of training with your menstrual cycle that is the real deal. There's some, um, there's some real pearls within that in some real yeah. biological basis for how our body, um, you know, trains and, and how we fuel during different
0: times of our cycle. Yeah. So what happened for me is just, I was just noticing that I was in a super like energy deficiency during that time. And the, I the thought of working out and like lifting and I was just like, oh man, I just can't get it together. And some of it was that I was trying to stick to this same diet that made me feel good most of the month. And it just wasn't helping during that time. Mm -hmm. And then when I started really even changing my lifts, so I do kind of hit based lifts, like strength workouts when I'm not on my cycle. Mm -hmm. And then when I am on my cycle, I do just heavy lifting. no intervals, I take out the cardio stuff, almost never do cardio that week, and the leading up to it. I just stick to heavy, slower pace, lots more rest in between, just because I felt like that was what I needed to do. And if I didn't do it, then it meant not doing anything at all. Right, right, no, and that adaptation's
1: really important. And when people are in the perimenopausal transition, where maybe they get a period once every three months, or maybe they get two periods in a month, Yeah. you may get up with a plan to say, all right, I'm doing back squats today, or I'm going to go work with my trainer. I'm going to do back squats today. And you yeah. get up and you're like, there's no way I can do back squats That's, today. Yeah. So you have to be able to say, all right, it's okay that I can't do back squats today. Well, yeah. what can I do? Today is going to be a yoga day. Or today is going to be mobility training, and I'm going to work on
0: my rotator cuff work. Um, or I'm gonna for me, Carla, personally, in the last not even a full year, but same, I was getting missing a period for three months. Getting it this last month, I've had it twice in a month, and it's a mental struggle, it really is. Because for me, I don't feel like I'm someone who should be of age of going through perimenopause, right? Like, I feel like hey, I'm so much young. younger than I am too. So for me, it was like a real mental struggle of like, this was on my workout plan. I like, just can't do it. Like, I feel like I physically can't wrap my I physically can't do it. I can't wrap my mind around doing it. And, you know, as a trainer, someone in the industry, who is flooded with other industry images all the time? It was a little hard for me to wrap my mind around really having to make those adaptations for myself.
1: Yeah, because we're not used to it. You know, when you're 30, it's like, okay, today's leg day, tomorrow is high endurance day, and you just do it. Um, and if you don't do it, you're a slacker you know, we've, we've all been in there, but really during perimenopause, especially when everything is changing, you kind of have to, you have to be ready and have the expectation that you may not be able to do it exactly as you planned it, but that's okay because you have to do your yoga work and your mobility work. You got to get that endurance day in. You just have to be flexible because i know sometimes when i've got my mind set on back squats i'm psyched for it i'm getting ready to do it and it really really topples me over if 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 i get thrown off my game but you really have to try to loosen that up a little bit and be flexible with yourself because again you don't want to develop that negative image of yourself and beat yourself up because well you can't do back squats today um you have to say okay you know what i'm going to use this as an opportunity to do X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And that's really the best way, most productive way to look at it um, because those changes are going to happen. And you are undoubtedly going to feel this way at some point. So be kind to yourself and say, you know what, yeah. there's so much fitness that I have that, that, that I should be doing anyway. Let's just yeah. work on something else. It's an opportunity, not
0: yeah. a, uh, not a, you know, it's not a loss. And for me, I have to say that once I did get over the little pity party, which I'm not going to lie, I did have for right. myself a little bit, right? All once I, yep. once I did start looking at it, like, maybe today I'm just going to go for a long walk. Maybe today I'm just going to do an extra long foam rolling session, or maybe today I'm still going to lift, but it's okay, I'm going to take out those those hit intervals, or I'm just going to do what I can, and I'm going to rest in between, and you know, maybe have the TV on in the background and just kind of go at a really slow pace. It really did lift this weight off my shoulder. when mm-hmm. I allowed myself to just kind of feel it and go, okay, this is where I am this month. It doesn't make sense for me to try to push beyond that because I'm just going to end up feeling worse. <laughs> and I'm not doing myself any good, right? Like,
1: For sure. Yeah, no, that's the best thing you can do. And it is, it's liberating when you take that pressure off of yourself and you can do so much more and be so consistent. You know, Um, there are days that I I usually work out down in my basement. There are days where I'm just like, I don't want to go down there. And I just have to say to myself, you know what, just go for the sake of moving. You know, this doesn't have to be a soul crusher just move and see what happens. And so many times what winds up happening is I get into it. I feel good. And it winds up being a hell of a workout, but you go into it, not having any judgment about yourself and not having any preconceived notions about what this workout is going to be. It's like, you know what, just going to move today and see what happens. And it's really, it really is liberating.
0: Yeah. That's so awesome. Thank you so much, Carla, for sharing all this with me today. Can you Again, remind me, let me look it up real quick. You have a blog.
1: I do. It's called Athletic Aging. Yes. And it's athleticaging, all one word, dot blog. It's uh, on the platform Substack. And a lot of the things that we talked about here, um, like there's a supplement post in there. I do do a lot of medical review because I am a physician and I am in tune with the medical literature. So there have been some... Uh, big things that have come out from some of the major menopause organizations on recommendations for hormone therapy and other things like that that I summarize in my blog as well. Um, so yeah, there's lots of good stuff there. Um, and yeah, I know a that's a,
0: a big topic right now is hormone yeah. replacement therapy and
1: yeah, um, it's it's huge and there's lots of debate surrounding it. But um, you know, there's 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 certainly some clarity within within there. Um, and, uh, some of the stuff in there is, is really helpful. And there's also a weekly functional fitness workout every Monday that comes out.
0: Oh, awesome. Um, that, I,
1: that I program myself. Yeah. It's, okay. it's, a, it's CrossFit style, but it's functional fitness and it's designed for any fitness level with any, uh, equipment you may have at home or not have.
0: Okay, great. So it's not necessarily all barbell or kettlebell work.
1: Oh, it's everything you can imagine. We improvise with, you know, anything
0: you might have. Awesome. I love that. So, yeah, I'll be dropping the link to Carla's athletic aging blog in the show notes. Any other way that people can get in touch with you, reach out about coaching or any questions they have? Sure. Um, you can find me on Facebook um, and send me a
1: message. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well. And um, I do have a website, it's called Fit for Life MD. Uh, And that just tells a little bit about my background, my coaching that I do, uh, consultations that I do, um, things like that. So, uh, and there's a way to just email me directly uh, in the website.
0: Okay, Carla, I'm going to be putting all of that stuff in the show notes so that if anybody wants to get in touch, read up on the blog, check out some of Carla's resources. Um, It will all be there for you. Thank you so much again, Carla, for joining us and sharing all of your knowledge with our listeners today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Nina. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Making Fit Work. If you did, it would mean so much to me if you took a minute to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference and would be super helpful to me. Also, if you have any topic suggestions, if there's something in particular you'd love for me to address on this podcast, feel free to shoot me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can shoot me a DM on Facebook or Instagram and find me at fitwith underscore Nina. Again, you can find me at fitwith underscore Nina or you can join my private community on Facebook called Making Fit Work and drop your topic suggestions in there. Until next time, my friends, be strong, be healthy, be happy.